it starts to feel like everyone's just concerned about the voice, like whoever does the biggest riff or sings the highest. And so then you come to New York, still maintaining that fixation. So when someone's able to get over that, to the second part, which is really that you're a storyteller, and in New York City, everyone has a cool voice, everyone has a great voice. And it's not so much about quality or range as much as it is about using the voice that you have, the voice that you have nurtured, into telling a story. Welcome, beautiful artists, to The Vocalist Podcast. My name is Christine Toole, and I am your guide to navigating your voice and this incredible, yet at times scary, world of theater. Here you will learn from professors at the top musical theater programs, theater professionals in the industry, and from me, your guide in all things singing and voice. I am so glad you're here to join in the conversation. Let's pull back the curtain together and make your big dreams a big reality. Okay, fellow actors out there, this one is a goldmine of information. You are going to love this conversation with Ryan Scott Oliver. If you are a musical theater actor, I urge you to listen to this one in full and to really think about the things that Ryan brings up today. I think they are some of the most important parts of being an an actor and especially a young actor coming into this industry. Some of the topics we touch on today are doing the character work, doing the character work at home before you bring your songs or your monologues for that matter into class or into an audition. Ryan talks about this not necessarily being the fun part of acting, and I think that a lot of actors can feel that way, but I also know because I've been there, once you start doing it, it actually becomes really, really fun, and it becomes like this exploration of this other life, and I think that you'll start to thoroughly enjoy the process once you start making this a part of your process and you start diving in deep. And the thing is about doing the character work before you're bringing this song into a class or an audition is that it can feel like, oh, it's so much extra work. But the thing is, is once you get the song in front of people, when you've done that character work, it will feel like less work at that point. And you'll get to feel more of those moments where you're really in the flow. Those moments that we live for as an actor, where we feel like we almost leave ourselves and enter into this other world, enter into this zone. I think you know what I'm talking about. So doing that character work will actually, in the end, set you free and allow you to really, truly connect with what you're singing. And we speak on that too, that it's really not about how pretty does my voice sound or how high can I belt. You you all have heard me and the professors say this time and time again. It is not about that. And most young actors who are musical theater actors, that is the biggest misconception, that it is truly about your voice. And I am standing here as one of those people who had to go through that journey. And I'm still processing that, that it is not going to be about how beautiful my voice is. Because when you're thinking about that, you are completely disconnected from the character. And to the people behind the table, no matter how beautiful your voice sounds, it's flat. Your performance is flat. They're not engaged. They won't really care how beautiful your voice is because you're not bringing something to them that's that's truthful and rich and thought through. 
And I love that Ryan also brings up this point of, of kind of how to do the work where, yes, you always need to be aware of what's going on in the show at the point that you're singing, what's going on with your character. That is the work you need to do first. You need to have that context. But then, as Ryan points out, this is what great actors do is they find themselves in the work, meaning you find what's true within yourself that relates to what this character is going through. Then you can really apply real feelings that you've had, real relationships that you've been through, and that will connect you to the work in such a real way. Instead of just imagining you're this other character in this faraway make-believe land who feels sad. (laughs) Now you're going to have context of, oh, I felt that before. I'm going to bring my own experience into this work. And that is so important for it to feel true, I think. I don't want to do too much chatting at the start here because we just cover too many good things and I want to dive right into it. But I wanted to leave one note is that there is some dog barking of my dog going on through through a couple minutes of the interview. So I tried to really mute down those moments, but just bear with me. Um, He gets excited. And so there is a little bit of audio trouble there, but we get through it and... I hope you enjoy this episode. It is so, so terrific. Enjoy. We're here today with Ryan Scott Oliver, who is an award-winning New York City composer, lyricist of new musical works such as 35mm, Jasper and Deadland, Darling, and so much more. Welcome, Ryan. We're so happy you're here. I'm so glad to be here, Christine. So I would love to start with a bit of you, Um, what you love about musical theater and what led you to want to start writing for theater. Well, I, you know, I come from a family. My father was a truck driver. My mom was a facilities manager and there was no artistic bone in the body of anyone in my family and my extended family. But I had, um, you know, I think we all... If we're destined to do musical theater, I think we find it. And I did find it. I had a, 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 a neighbor friend whose mom was obsessed with musicals. Like, you know, had all of, you know, truly one of those that like, she did musicals when she was in uh, high school and college and, uh, you know, and got her daughter super into it, who was my friend. And so they really nurtured this love in me of musicals. And it, you know, with the passing of Stephen Sondheim, I've thought a lot about the fact that his musicals were among the first shows that I listened to. And I would say through high school between that and like, you know, Les Mis and some of the spectacle musicals that were sort of operatic and grand. Cause I was also super into opera between Sondheim and the classics and the spectacle stuff. I really felt like this was something I really loved doing. And though I had no proficiency as a pianist, I could sing and I was very interested and very academic about music. And so falling in love with music and getting, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like you, especially as a teenager, you know, when you, you've grown up with your parents trying to get you interested in sports and in this and in that and this and that, and you're kind of like, Ooh, that's such a hassle. But then you find something that you're like, I want to spend every waking hour just playing around with this and just exploring this. And, you know, that's how I found it and pursued that through a composition degree at UCLA and then uh, went to NYU immediately for graduate musical theater writing. And, uh, and then, you know, my career just started from there. I love that. And I love, 
I've loved working with you in class as a writer. I think that it provides such a unique and interesting viewpoint as an actor to be able to actually have those conversations with um, someone who does your side of things, because I think that's a rare collaboration, especially for young artists who are just doing the audition grind and they don't really get that kind of contact with someone like you. So kind of speaking to that as a writer, what do you look for in an actor when they're singing songs? What what connects for you when you are watching these actors? Well, especially looking at early career performers who are still finding their footing and still, you know, they they know that they have a lot of talent. They know they, they worked really hard. They probably did well in high school and maybe, maybe attended a BFA musical theater program, not necessarily. And when I, when I see them, one of the first, there's a couple of hurdles that I see actors go through and some actors just don't ever get through that, I think. The first one is, you know, in high school and college, we are so obsessed with our voices and we're so fixated on our voices and how we sound. And in many ways, it's sort of like we feel like our voices are what set us apart, especially in like a lot of public schools um, and a lot of programs. It, be, it starts to feel like everyone's just concerned about the voice, like whoever does the biggest riff or sings the highest. And so then you come to New York, still maintaining that fixation. So when someone's able to get over that, to the second part, which is really that you're a storyteller. And in New York City, everyone has a cool voice. Everyone has a great voice. And it's not so much about quality or range as much as it is about using the voice that you have, the voice that you have nurtured into telling a story. So I'm always looking for an actor who is uh, first and foremost a storyteller who's using their voice. I mean, that's the other thing that you see with Lindsay Mendez and you see with Alex Brightman and Jay Johnson and so many of these other incredible artists, Patina Miller, who know how to use and to manipulate their vocal facility to convey a character and convey the, the, the dramatic moment. Because that, you know, if you're going to think about your voice and you're going to be concerned about your voice, um, it's not, I think people are concerned about the wrong things. I think they're concerned about it sounding the best without understanding that best is a qualitative judgment. And you know, you may be playing Fosca in Passion, and there's a there will probably be directors out there who think that Fosca should sound as quote unquote ugly as she looks, and that might be uncomfortable for an actor. Mm-hmm. But that may be the story that they're trying to tell. So, giving a lot of thought to that and how we and how we can use the voice as an instrument to convey character. That's a huge. When I see an actor come in with an, that understanding, I get very excited. I love that. And that's definitely speaking to me because I, I came into classes feeling <laughs> feeling that way. And I think a lot of young actors do of um, yeah. how do I mentally get past this whole voice thing? And I've interviewed quite a few college professors and I asked them the same question, kind of what do you see in the audition room that you either love or that you wish you saw more of? And it is along those lines of, I just want somebody to to tell a story and I want to know that they've thought about that and I want to see them. Um, So I guess, how would you say to young actors is the best way to start on that journey of of truly digging into the characters and the story and less thinking about performance and voice? Well, I think there's a tremendous of table work and homework that 
goes into preparing a character and preparing a song. And I, you know, not, not to generalize actors, but I think that a lot of artists get into this, especially a lot of actors get into this because they, they don't want to be sitting down with a pencil and paper and doing the homework. You know what I mean? They don't want to be doing math class homework. They want to be standing up and giving it all they got. And I think that that deprives the craft from acting and singing and performing. You know, there's so many approaches, so many approaches. And of course, some of it is on your feet. But I think a lot of it is just looking at the text, studying the script, studying the score, studying the character, making observations that are you know, seated, that are um, based on the evidence. How does this character sing? What is their tessitura? Why is their tessitura placed up there um, in their scene work? Why do they talk this way? What is their vocabulary? Are they rhyming a lot? Is there a lot of, is there a huge density of lyrics? So there's a lot of observations to be made there. But then, of course, there's also the, the, the space that the great actor will make for themselves in the material. And this is what we find, I think, in Sondheim's work, where, yes, you know, Sondheim, you know, does so very much for the actor and for the singer. But at the same time, it's like you, you know, you look at moments in the woods and, you know, from Into the Woods, and you, you could literally go line by line. And what the actor's job is there is to really uh, find their own story and create their own story. Because we're given a lot of information about, say, this character, the Baker's Wife, and we're given a lot of information about her story. But the actor has the opportunity to fill in all of the blanks. And when the work is so brilliantly crafted and so dense, right, and that's the work you want to be doing, whether it's Sondheim or somebody else, when it's so dense... You have to be the one to sort of open it up and, you know, create a life and a landscape for this character. Um, and what we see brilliant actors doing, when I, that's what I see brilliant actors doing in the room, where you can feel that they're not just posturing emotion or they're not just posturing an, a, um, a moment. They are bringing a life onto the stage and especially in these songs, you know, full songs that are two and a half, three minutes long, where, you know, it moves a mile a minute. It's a train going in real time and they have to convey an entire history. And that's a very difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, thank you for that. That was really, really wonderful and helpful to me, I know. I would love to talk a bit about actor therapy because um, that's a lot of the work that we do there. And I was fortunate enough to take many classes with you guys, many, many. Um, loved every moment of it. What what do you feel like? I, I know I have many of my own thoughts of why it was so important to me, but what do you feel like actor therapy provides to actors that is different from maybe other classes? Well, I think what we try to do is we try to create a space for an actor to see that half their job is to quote unquote honor the industry. And what that means is the history that's come before it. The, and you know, we've, we've, we've done a lot of exploring of, of our industry and you know, obviously there's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of things to be worked on in our business, but there is still a, a beating heart that is underneath all of that. There is still something to honor in the musical theater. So, and this speaks a little bit to sort of the musicals that have come before us and sort of the work that has been done. And how do you fit into that world, right? The awkward, terrible way to say that is like, what's your type and like, where do you fit in like classic musicals? But of course, we don't think of it quite so reductively, um, especially when we're seeing so many roles reinvented, whether it's Ali Stroker or Sis playing Ada Annie in the Oklahoma revival as just one example, and it's happening everywhere. 
Um, and that speaks to the second part, the other half of their journey, which is how do they break new ground? How do they establish themselves within themselves as an artist that is not concerned with, you know, that is coming from a tradition, but is looking forward and looking ahead to break new ground. And that is something a lot of actors, I think, get stuck in this pattern of going, I'm going to be in Mean Girls. And so that speaks to the first part, how do we honor our industry? But Life is going to be so much more than cattle calls for Mean Girls, right? Life is going to be new musicals. It's going to be reinventions of old musicals. We have to be looking to the future. So it's very difficult to hold in both hands the past and the future, all the while living in the present, right? So that's one of the things we really strive to do. The other thing is that, you know, actors, especially those that are coming from musical theater programs, are so used to their voice teachers handing them rep, are so used to directors and, 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 um, uh, program directors telling them who they are, telling them where they should fit and strategizing for them. And that's a little bit of what you're paying for when you go to a college program. But the reality is, is that that's not always fa- that is not always fair to an actor's long-term plan. That maybe that could be true for when they're 19, 20, 21. But also it's like in co- college is such a fragile time, which is why we see so many young actors who, you know, walk away from school traumatized, you know, carrying trauma because they, there is, there is a, a maturation that happens way too fast, I think sometimes. Mm-hmm. So what we're weak, when people come to us and they first thing they out of their mouth is like, you know, I, everybody tells me, or I, my voice teacher told me, or, you know, any sentence that begins with that, right, is, a, is not a great sentence for us because it's up to the actor to begin to see themselves as their own business, as their own person, as their own artist, who is not tied to what previous people have told them or shown them. And for a lot of, a lot of actors, that is a huge leap. And some of them never quite make it. Um, the ones that do, who are able to sort of cast aside what they have been told and to separate the things they've been told that they agree with, which now has become their own thoughts versus what they've been told that doesn't make sense to them or hurts them or, or doesn't figure into their pathway, their strategy, and they're able to sort of let it go. So they come to the city, you know, the, the strongest actors are able to synthesize what's right for them, the journey that's right for them and the strategy that's right for them. And we really try to nurture that and get actors to see that it's on them. They are the, they are the leader of their own pathway and we're there to help and to offer assistance and guide but we're never there to tell you who you are or what you should do and that is truly the most powerful thing and most powerful gift you can give to an artist i feel like um gosh i i could talk forever about all of this um a couple last questions what are you most excited for right now Ooh, uh, it's a great question. Um, I have a couple of things in the pipeline, but the, the one thing uh, that I'm excited about work that I'm here to offer people is uh, last year I released an EP of songs written by or uh, based on stories of the brilliant uh, psychological thriller queen, uh, Shirley Jackson, mm-hmm. who created, uh, you wrote a novel called The Haunting of Hill House and We've Always Lived in the Castle and Netflix just did uh, The Haunting of Hill House a couple years ago. It was a big hit for Netflix. And so I'm very fortunate to, to write a few, to write five songs based on those stories. I released that last year. It's called Future Demons. And I, as we speak, I'm mixing and editing uh, a whole new EP of five new stories based on Shirley Jackson's work. Um, I'm really, really, really excited about that. That's going to be released at the end of January. So that's what's happening right now. Very cool. Very exciting. Um, how can people find you and your music and After Therapy? 
Yeah. Um, well, I'm at Ryan Scott Oliver on all the platforms. That's one of the benefits of having three names uh, <laughs> and no one else as of yet claiming them on Google. So there you go. Perfect. Um, uh, and please do give me a follow on Instagram. I love I love uh, interacting with uh, people who are interested in, in, in my work and interested in theater in general. Uh, and Actor Therapy is at actortherapynyc.com. Um, we're, we're finalizing enrollment for our winter intensive, which begins at the beginning of January. And we're starting classes again uh, in the third week of January, uh, including a class that we're really excited about called Rehearsal and Performance, mm-hmm. which is where we kind of set aside auditions and we set aside this idea of like, you know, the audition machine. And we just work on false songs towards a performance for our peers um and that and we always do a theme and this one is going to be Sondheim which we chose even before his passing so it ends up being quite a quite a really emotional experience I'm sure coming into this oh that's really exciting and I encourage anybody out there to go and check it out because it's an incredible program thank you so much Ryan I really appreciate your time today absolutely Christine it's my pleasure thanks Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm so glad you're here. If you would like to put these skills to work, come on over and work with me today. You can visit my website at www.thevocalistworkshop.com or on Instagram at The Vocalist Workshop and also on Facebook at The Vocalist Workshop. Please rate and review the podcast. It means the world to me. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.